Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's um, Tuesday, getting towards evening, and uh, truth is I'm pretty tired, but I'd like to do the Haftorah, so I'll have time later on in the week to do other things. And this, of course, is the famous Shabbos Chazon, so let me take a whack at this. Um, and this is the third of three being sponsored uh, very generously by Dr. Ehud Sesson and family, who I mentioned the other day, and uh, very appreciative, and I wish everybody else would imitate him. Now, um, he sponsored three uh, talks this, uh, in the last week. Now, um, what's there to say about Shabbos Chazon? Everybody knows more or less one of the most famous Zahav Torahs, and yet I think it's one that's famous, but like Abraham Lincoln once said, it's famous, but nobody knows exactly why. <laughs> um, obviously, it's being a book of Yishaya. Why specifically it's the week before yeah, the Shabbos for Tisha B'Av? I don't know. It would make more sense, I would think, but then again, I'm a history person, to have a Haftorah that comes from... Um, the book of uh, Malachim, where they described the Chorim Beis of English at the end. Uh, you can't have it from the from the Ksuvim, but you can have it from the Nevi'im. Uh, except, of course, as I point out many times, the policy of the Haftorah is to um, palliate, to uh, not be direct in its criticisms of Kal Yisrael, uh, for the most part. You have some, remember they always try to end on a happy note, including this one. Uh, it's Maybe to read about the Chorban, literally on Shabbos, Shabbos Chazon, Haftorah, especially when it's read by Hamonam and the masses, <clears throat> might be a little bit too much for them to bear. That used to be the thinking of our ancestors long ago. The Gemara talks about this, Paiga, Daita de Tzibur, and things like that. Right? You know, they didn't have um, books like we have today. They, it was oral. This is interesting. And so instead... We have, we have a Haftorah of indirection, of uh, indirect. Uh, it's not clear what the prophet Isaiah is talking about. Is he talking about the future? Can he? Is it shot that he foresees the future? He's predicting the Chorban. Is it, as I think I mentioned last year, is he talking about his own times when Jerusalem was surrounded and devastated by the invasion of Sancheirub? And it's true, Sancheirub never finished out Jerusalem, but he did everything else. So he basically devastated 99% of the kingdom of Judah. That time was finished. Is that what he's talking about? Um, if you look in the Abarbanel, who's always very good and creative in these sorts of things, I mean, it. he speculates um, very logically that Yeshaya might be talking about um, the recent destruction of the north. Because remember, he lived um, in the time of Yoshio, and I mean, not Yoshio, um, what do you call it? The guy built was Uziah and Yosam and Ochaz and Chizkiah, I think. Maybe Menashe to say. And Chizkiah, right. Menashe murdered him. So, ordinarily, the Pashup Shot way of learning is that this is the first of the Nebuchadnezzar of Yeshayo and therefore it took place in time of 
of King Uziel, and then I talked about that another time. However, you don't have to learn like that. You can say, and again, if you're interested in what I'm talking about, check out your Barbanel. He's quite good on these sorts of issues. And uh, it could be very much in the time of Hiskia, when the North was just wiped out, and when he says, you know, that we're alone like a silk in a field, it would be a very nice shot to say, you know, at least we used to feel like we're part of two Jewish kingdoms, a larger part of Klai Yisrael. Maybe even the North is a buffer. But now it's wiped out. So where are we now? It's a very interesting speculation because I think it takes you realistically, historically, into the mindset of the kingdom of Judah, where he lived and where the base mix was located, consider well, for many, many centuries, you had the two kingdoms. I realized they shouldn't have broken up, but they did. And they had their ups and downs in terms of the relationship with each other. But Lamai said there were two kingdoms. So if I was a, 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 a citizen of the Malchus Judah, I said, well, at least to the north is another Jewish kingdom. It's true that they see things different than us, and it's not Malchus based of it, and you have the ball and the share and all this business. I get it. But nevertheless, they're Jews. Like the language was basically Hebrew, or whatever that was. They're Jews. All of a sudden, they're not there. That must have been super freaky. You go to an area, you know what it reminds me of? Imagine what it was like. And this is very depressing, I'm going to say. During World War II, let's say the Germans came. I think they have movies. I saw a Slovakian movie when I was a kid about this. Uh, imagine it was a town. This, and what I'm about to describe happened over and over again. Let's say it's a small town somewhere in, in Eastern Europe. And let's say it's a town of, uh, I don't know, 200 families, which is not that big. Uh, it's not that small either. And let's say 150 of those were Jews. So it's, you know, the majority of the population was Jewish, but not everybody at all. And then comes the beginning of World War II, like in Lithuania, one of these places. And then the bad guys show up and they shoot everybody, literally. You know and I know that is what happened, correct? Oh, wait a second. I hope I didn't lose my train of thought here. What I was saying was, I seem to have gotten stuck. When he talks about the um, the kingdom of the, the disappearance of the kingdom of the north in a freaky way, it's like World War II. Imagine a town with a large Jewish population and also non-Jews. And then Hitler, whoever came along, and they used to just take him out of town and shoot him. Or later on, they put them on trains and transported them away. Okay, I get it. So now what happens in the town? It's weird. A whole neighborhood that used to be full of people is gone. The town is like a ghost town, or large parts of it. And you end up being, you know, you feel like you're, a, you know, lonely or something like that. Uh, now, the guy might like it, and that's what happened in Eastern Europe, I'm sorry to say. You know, I get it. But, um... This fits the, the pattern, as he calls it over here, of a lone sukkah. Right? And what it means is, you used to see north and north, all the way through the center of Israel, all the way up to Galilee, was Jews. Good Jews, bad Jews, but Jews. And then, the nature of Asher was, they were entirely deported, as we know, and replaced with others. And so, whole area, like you see, what the heck just happened over here? Um... <coughs> Excuse me, and uh, this was a shock. Now, in this context, it would fit very nicely that you have Chazon Yeshaya Benamot. 
because the Navi then is saying like this, is our turn next? If we don't get our act together, if we act like the North did, um, then it'll be pretty bad news. And we'll end up like they did, which is, of course, as you know, and I know what happened. In which case, I think the Tiger Munison goes like this, he says, and if that's the shot, then what he's calling attention to are the primary sins. What were the primary sins? If you look at it closely, and believe you me, the Bible scholars have picked this one to death. Okay? So it's a social injustice. When I say that, I mean the following. We have always caught the wealthy, the richy rich. And in any society, one of the things they undertake to do, try to do, for understandable reasons, <coughs> is to try, try to gain control of the justice system. You see? To buy up the judges or people, the courts were their own people. Because then, everything to worry about. I have friends who are into politics. I know the reason in politics is because they don't want the, you know, the authorities to go investigate their business. And therefore, they figure if they'll be in politics, they'll somehow be punted from that. Nah, that's how life goes. Now, the problem is you end up with the corruption of justice, like was described in many books of the Tanakh. Uh, the prophet almost comes to mind, Al-Mikram Bakesev Tzadi Va'ani Bavur Nalayim, that the judge will corrupt the justice and screw the poor to help the rich because the rich will pay him off with a pair of tennis shoes. Va'ani Bavur Nalayim. Right? And the result is you have a reign of injustice. And we know in the Torah that injustice, in the sense that I just said before, that when the Beisden, when the judge acts improperly, that's considered an extreme perversion. Instead of simply saying, look, Isaiah gate us, that's life, can't fight City Hall, you know, don't sue Rockefeller, uh, you know, you're not going to win, it's an old expression, you're not going to win. When that happens, uh, God gets very angry. The rules are the rules, he has to follow the rules, and if the rich guy wins, the rich guy wins, the poor guy wins, if he's Zilkin, then he wins, and, and let the chips fall where they may, like Shakespeare said, let justice be done, though the heavens fall. Okay, I get it, but that's not what happened. And so, what you see, therefore, is his, he's describing him as Sodom and Amorah. Okay? And, he, and Yeshayo, so uh, brilliantly, uh, you know, uh, such a brilliant speaker. Everybody knows that. Considered the greatest in the VM in terms of rhetoric, by far. And so, as we know, I assume you know the Haftarah is not the first time we did it. And he says, Arzachem Shemama Arechem Srufaseish. And he would be talking about the north, right? Just north of him. How far was the kingdom of Israel from Yerushalayim, the capital of the south? A few miles, right? I think you're already in Ramallah or those places. You're already over the border. Almost a few miles away. And therefore, I can look out from Jerusalem or wherever. I can see north. And it's all a shmama and a mapecha, Right? And we here are left like survivors. You understand? We ducked the bullet, but all of our fellow Jews have been carried off in captivity or killed. We're almost like Sodom and Amara. Meaning, in Sodom and Amara, there were no survivors. When the time came to destroy the five cities, they destroyed the five cities, baby. It wasn't that they hit Sodom and Amara and left out Adam and Tzvayim. The whole thing got wiped out. So the, the, the sign of Sodom is, uh, you know, Hiroshima. No survivors. 
We get it. And we are survivors. But on the other hand, it was a close call. We, the prophet says, are supposed to interpret this close call. They're right next to us, a few miles north of Yerushalayim. The Assyrians came and wiped everybody out, but they did not choose to cross the border. Not at this point. That came later under different, very different circumstances. So imagine what it's like. Again, I'm just using a modern example. Actually, a good example would be if you were Jewish and living in Switzerland during World War II. With hindsight, we know, if you're in Switzerland, Hitler never went in. So you could be near the Swiss border. And I know there were Jewish communities like that. And, you know, over as far as you can see on the other side of the lake or the river, the Germans are going in and killing everybody. And on your side, is this a luck? Is this a mazel? And, you, you, you know, you're, you're, you're saved. You're okay. But it freaks you out. And it asks, causes you to ask existential questions. Why them and not me? So, when you consider it that way, the prophet says, very powerfully, the prophet says, okay, the fact that it came close to us, didn't quite hit us, means that we're supposed to get a Musra Haskell from this. So let us ask ourselves, what was there in this behavior of the North that caused the disruption? And how do we in the South imitate that? Okay? Now, if this is really during the time of Chizkiyahu, then believe it or not, the, the, the idols was not the big problem. Although, it does seem in the Haftar to make reference to that. But the highest reference was to the perversion and corruption of, of justice by the rich and the powerful. And here you have the problem, of course, of um, religion. Because all religion becomes an end in itself, and it's not supposed to be, right? It's not supposed to be. Um, and the Eight of Heart is very clever and, and says, concentrate on mitzvah performance, and then you don't have to worry about your behavior. You see what I'm saying? Excel in mitzvah performance, you don't have to worry about behavior, which causes you not to pay attention to the fact that the highest mitzvah performance is your behavior, <laughs> right? Or to use more language nowadays, the benot alamalkim is more important, right? The benot alamalkim is more important. But say, no, how can you? I'm sorry, I said it backwards, excuse me. The benot alamalkim is more important. Benot alamalkim. Oh, but we said, no, the benot alamalkim is more important. And so he calls this Sodom and Amor. And the reason he calls it Sodom and Amor, in my opinion, is because Sodom and Amor were sticklers for law. If we, all the stories we hear about Sodom and Amor was they were sticklers for law. The laws were perverse. You understand? In other words, they, they, they've, uh, I'll use Lahavdol, you know, Alhavdolis. They stuck to their Torah, but they uh, screwed everybody they came in contact with. They killed them all, or they starved them to death. So everything was done according to oil, and all the laws were followed punctiliously. We have all these stories about the beds and you know the money that they would leave in the street and all those mice that you find in the chazals. And what they have in common is the laws they stuck to uh, uh, you know uh, punctiliously, but the laws were the antithesis of Benon Lachavero, and therefore they resulted in the um, you know uh, terrible hurting of the Benon Lachavero. And Hashem can't stand that, okay? Now, if this happened, if this is, if what I'm saying today is correct, according to many Mephoshim, and if this story is happening during time of Chizkiyo, then you find something extremely fascinating. And that is the following, because you have to do a little bit of coordination, in my opinion. Chizkiyo was the king after Ahaz. Ahaz was terribly wicked, 
and he closed down the base of Megiddo, and he killed all the front people and all this kind of stuff. And he introduced idolatry, and he even switched the uh, Mizbeach, and he brought a Buddha and all that kind of stuff. So the result was that by the time Ochoz died, which was rather sudden, the, the whole system of the base of Megiddo, the Carbonus, everything, was a wreck, was a mess. The next king that came along was Skiskyo, his son, who, as we know, flipped 180 degrees in a front direction. He dragged his father's bones through the street, as they say, to disassociate himself from his father's policies. And what is Chizkiah famous for? So you'll tell me like this. Chizkiah brought back the Torah. I get that, and there certainly are Chazals that say that. There's no question about it. That by the time Chizkiah was finished, they knew the whole, you know, Bishnayis from Don de Barsheva, and everybody was a bucking Kachamataris. I do know that. But it doesn't say that anywhere. Okay? Meaning in the Tanakh, it doesn't say that. In the Tanakh, in both in uh, Yishai, in the three places, in the book of Isaiah, in Malachim, and in Dibri Yamu, how is Chizki de, uh, described? In other words, in what lay his frumkite? And the area is, the, rest, the answer is, <clears throat> the restoration of the correct temple ritual and its displacement of the incorrect and pagan temple rituals. They used to have, who knows, all kind of idols and junk like that. Ad Kedekach, that you will pro- probably remember the story that when Chizkiah suddenly became king on like the second day of Nisan, and he only had a few days to go to Pesach, the base of Megiddo was so chock full of idols and all this other junk that he had to go and make an extra other shane, even though it wasn't a normal time to do that, because he needed an extra four weeks to give him time to clean up the temple itself and chisel out of the walls, we're told, all the pagan stuff, not only the physical idols. And it took him days and days and weeks. The mamas cleaned the place up. Ad that was Roy to start up the Carbonus. And then, when it was ready, there's a whole big description in Lachem Devarayama, especially Devarayama, that they start up the Carbonus again, and have the Carbon Tumit, and this and that, you know, the Shlom, everything was done according to oil, which was a great thing. No one's denying that that's a great thing. Um, and so the hallmark of the reign of Chizkyo is, as I say before, the displacement of the wrong temple stuff and its replacement by the right uh, stuff. There's a whole long description in Devarayamim about how he does the Karim Pesach, the Passover, and all the rest of it. So you might say that he excelled in uh, fixing up the base amygdala situation, the carbonate situation, which is a big thing, no question about it. But you see where I'm going already, right? But he made such a big thing that people naturally came to think that that's the Iker of Yiddishkeit. We were sinners before. How were we sinners before? Well, because we used to offer Tabal and Asherah and this and that and the other and Treif. And now we're righteous because we offer Karbonas to Hashem and it's the right Karbonas, it's the Chattas, it's the Shlomim, it's the Toto, the whole business like it says in the Chumash. Now we're righteous. And not exactly. Everything I just said is an important component. But why do you think the Gemara comes up with that Agatha that everybody knew to go, uh, and Tyrus, all the boys and girls? Because the Gemara itself realizes there's something of an empty narrative. If all he did was to restore the temple ritual, but he didn't do more than that, it's kind of, what's the right word, superficial. Even though I'm not knocking the extreme importance of the base of English, but in comparison to the whole nine yards, it's a superficial. Judaism is a big business, which involves all kinds of components, and they have to be coordinated one with the other. 
And so the bottom line is, what's better, a base amigdash with bad ben amal chavera or no base amigdash with good ben amal chavera? And the answer is the latter. Now, obviously, the proper one is both. You have a base amigdash and you have the ben amal chavera. I get that. But if it's one or the other, I just raised a good point. And that is exactly what the prophet is saying here. Because he's saying, yeah, listen, now you're going to pat yourself on the back. They would say, we're not like the north. They messed up on the Garbonus. They set up temples to Baal and Asherah, and they offered human sacrifices. Who the heck knows what was going up there? You know, and all the stuff that's described in the kingdom of the north. By contrast, we do everything exactly right. Really? Really? Not if the judges are still on the take. Not if the rich are still screwing the poor. Not if you can't get a fair deal. Not if there's persecution by one class over the other class. It's not the... Don't tell me that's the from way. You say, well, what's wrong with it? We're following all the rules of Orachayim. We're following all the rules of Yeridea. Yeah, but you're not following the rules of Chasha Mishpat. You see? And that's why I think that um, Yeshayo is uh, popping the balloon and he's calling a spade a spade. And he says, Shema Dvar Hashem Sedom Haziru Hazinu Teres Hashem Who wants your carbonas? You see, now they were priding themselves. We got rid of Ochaz. We got rid of all the junk. We bring in the right Karbonas. The king, being a firm guy, you know, there's a whole concept, the case on his Mizbeach, that um, it's sort of disgraceful if the Mizbeach is left without Karbonas all day long. So you can be sure that Cheskiel really cared about that. Because if you look in the book, it talks about the fact that he cares a lot about that. And I'll say it again, that is not wrong, Provided it doesn't come at the expense of the Ben Elam Chavera. Provided that there's not social injustice. You see? Um, but he says there is. Shemad Varshem Katsini Sadom. Lomali robes of Chechem Yom Hashem. Who wants robes of Chechem? You see, that was their pride. They had carried out the reform of Hezekiah, and now they had robes of Chechem. And Hashem says, Savati Ola Salem Bechem Rim. I'm stuffed up to here. Savati, I'm full of Oilis Elam Charmarim. But the Amparan Kavazim Atum Lo Chafotzi, and I don't want. To, really, I thought you said in the Chumash that you do want those. Not in this context. You can't take a piece of the Torah and hold it out of context. That's an important rule. That's the difference between a Talmud Chacham on the one hand and Amars on the other. Amars will always pull one piece out um, at the expense of the others. Now, not only a Amars, you could have an unscrupulous Talmud Chacham. Okay, the kind that the Gemara talks about is. And is Kayas Albrias, whatever it is, you know, that in Yuma over there. You can have somebody, Karabashana, as it says, and he's a bum. He's no good. Because when it comes to business, he'll screw everybody, he'll sell his mother for 10 cents. He really will. And he'll deliver too. You see? This was the real problem. So Hashem says, you're all patting yourself on the back because you restored the temple ritual. I don't want it. When you show up in the base of English to see me. Meaning now you're doing they pat themselves in the back. They said everything's great. We're doing all the mitzvahs. And I repeat, it is an important component of Judaism. But not when the same guy who threw a widow and orphan out, foreclosed with them, threw it out in the street, like used to happen in the north, now happening in, in Judah, and they're starving and suffering, and then he comes in into the base of Megdosh, who wants to even wants you here? Okay? Knows it was better before when you weren't even here. 
Therefore, don't bring me a minchas. Because they say, why not? We're bringing all the good carbonas. See that? So these are all the features, I think, that are introduced by the reform, the frumi reforms of Chizkiyot. Now they do the Ketores, but the Ketores is a Toeva. Why is the Ketores a Toeva? Because the Etzim of the Ketores, the meaning of it, is that it's all a mixture of all Klal Yisrael, the good and the bad. But when the exploiters separate themselves and exploit the others, it is the antithesis of the Ketores. I don't know if you ever thought about that. The Ketores, the little of an aspect, which we always say in these sermons, are marshals of Klal Yisrael, and they are, they don't simply mean that they're the good and the bad and the others. It's the good and the bad in the right proportion, in the right relationship. You have the good, the bad, and this and that and the other, meaning and everybody's trying to help the other. As I've said many times, there are places when you need the bad guys to help out. Frankly, now you have crime running out everywhere. You need the type of mummy guy who comes to show with a gun to protect the others, so to speak. You know, I mean, if it's in a, done in a responsible way. You are Katoris to Avali. <laughs> Your Keturus is no good because the spices are... They said, what was wrong? The spices are mixed correctly. The coin did it just so. Is it, you know, the, everything's in the right proportion. It's the 11 ingredients. Yeah, but it's a symbol, but it's not real. You understand? This, you got the symbol right, but you got the real wrong. So dinner is disgusting. I can't stand your Shabbos anymore. I can't stand your, your um, uh, you know, Rosh Chodesh things together. Because all these are public carbonists. What's a public carbon? This for Kla Yisrael. What's the shadow of a public carbon? Is it to flatter God? It's to symbolize, rather, the Jewish people as, as a group. See, we as a people are celebrating Shabbos or something like that. But if you don't treat yourself as a people, if one group exploits the other, then you kill the whole idea. And so this becomes the laziness, I can't even take it. And therefore, you exploiters. When you act so frummy, you raise your hands to the sky. In the old days, we, the Rabbi Kibaker says, we used to daven just like the Arabs. But then when they picked it up from us, we stopped. So also you find in, in Ezra and Nehemiah that they used to daven that way. So you got quite a nerve. Like I said before, the guy, you know, uh, insists on the payment, forecloses on the widow and the orphan, drives them out in the street, takes the clothes off their back, and then goes to Shoal and daven for them and he's daven the Elah. And believe you me, you never heard any ill like this. Like, oh, it's crying, it's full of full of tears, full of emotion, all the rest of it. And you know something? I'll even go so far as to say, during the 15 minutes that he's dominating for no and he means it. A big deal. Who cares if he means it? It doesn't mean anything. Because of your your feelings, if not backed by the action, when you have the power to back up that action, you're in a position of power, your feelings are meaningless. Your desire for teshuvah is meaningless. Unless you change. And he says, Even if you do a lot of tefillah, if you daven a lot, and you mean it when you daven, oh boy, but it's total b'sherz b'yado. Total b'sherz b'yado. Because instead of davening with a ay ay ay, give back the money. Let the widow stay in the house. Don't stick it to the poor guy. Don't throw his kids out of school because he can't pay the tuition, and so forth. You see? But if you do that, then don't go to shul and say, ooh, right? All the rest of it. And say, I have the best felon out of this. Because your hands are full of blood. You say, what kind of blood? You say, obtuse. You don't realize that you murdered people. Therefore, he says like this. Wash yourselves. 
Now, Shem doesn't say change your heart. He says take a shower. What shall take a shower? Shower means you wash off the dirt. So to stand there dirty and say, uh, doesn't mean anything. You have to wash up the dirt. And if you're too dumb to know what I mean when I say wash up the dirt, the prophet says, stop doing evil to others. <laughs> right? If you can't figure out what Rachat Zavizako is, because you're so obtuse, you say, he can't mean me. I'm talking to you and say, Chidlo Area. Lim du heitiv, dirshu mishpon, ashokamas, shift the yasen riba amona. See, there you go. The poor, the yasem and the amona. Okay? Um, and anything short of that doesn't count. Right? Anything short of that doesn't count. So, because as he says, your money's no good. That's a very good way of talking to the richy rich. If you try to say somebody your mitzvahs are no good, it doesn't mean anything. If you say your money's no good, oh, now you're talking, now you're talking about language. It's on pocket. It's like saying, you know, guess what? Uh, there was overnight inflation and your money's not worthless. Uh, that's the language that they understand. Okay? And otherwise, and if you want to know why your money's no good, over and over again, you see the the um, the Yosem and the Almona. Obviously, if the prophet is fixating on the Yosem and the Almona, what does that tell you? It was an everyday occurrence. It's the way the system was. That the poor people, the poor... How many people lost their farms through unscrupulous, you know, capitalists during this time and these centuries? Plenty, you understand? And Hashem basically said, yes, I ain't going to let this happen. See him, but you know, for Shabbat Tzedakah. The only way you'll get saved if you have Mishpat. And Tzedakah means over here, not righteous, not charity, but righteousness. So anything short of that, long payers, fancy filling, you know, the best tallers, and all that business ain't worth jack. The only thing that works is, he says, shift to Yasam Reba Mona. It's very interesting. Clearly, you see that there was uh, great attention paid in his time to temple ritual. I mean that in a from way, because Chizkiyot reformed the temple ritual in a, in a from way. But it wasn't followed up with the action of Benam, Benam L'Chaveru. And the, and the judicial system stunk, which is why he can only f- finish by saying, Let's get the old-fashioned judges, not the ones you have today. He just called out all the judges. Only when you switch to the... So basically he's saying, in his generation, you know, cut the ball, and if you don't make these changes in personnel and in policies, then the rest of it is, is worthless. That is a powerful message. For a time, this doesn't have anything to do with Tishabal per se, except that it, it warns against what is often the case, of course, which is everybody goes to Kinos and they're good people, and they sit on the floor, and maybe they'll even go now to hear a shear in the afternoon, like Marie Antoinette, you know, you, you can play at being righteous, but if it's not followed up in Tachlis, in the, in the pocketbook, then, it, then it's worthless. So it's a pretty uh, famous Torah, and it fits very well, as I said before, with the notion that this was given in time of Chizkiyot. Anyway, that's what I think. And uh, again, I want to wrap this up and send this out and thank Dr. Sassona family for being such a wonderful sponsor this week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.